Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what we conceived? Either way, we got... Hey, everybody. That was the fantastic Pete Seeger singing with Dar Williams and David Burns, the Solartopia song. Uh, we are back for another uh, hour here at the Solartopia Green Power and Wellness Show. Uh, we have been doing for the past year or so, mostly our grassroots emergency election protection coalition Zooms, but uh, uh, we got a couple weeks off and we are gonna be doing um, uh, today another show on nuclear power and uh, renewable energy. We are gonna do the first half hour with the great Linda Pence, who's Linda Pence Gunter, who's uh, uh, with us. I, I assume you're in, in Silver Springs or uh, uh, one of those leftist suburbs of Washington, D.C. And then uh, uh, we're gonna be joined by Tatanka Bricka and um, uh, 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 Ron Leonard at the half hour to talk about renewable energy. So we got a ton to talk about. Linda is uh, truly one of the great activists that I've ever met. She's a fantastic uh, organizer and actually uh, covered uh, tennis and if, uh, uh, professionally. And if, uh, if I had my way, <laughs> we could talk for the next half hour about that moron uh, uh, Novak Djokovic, who got booted uh, from Australia uh, and can't play in the Australian Open, another anti-vaxxer, I guess. And uh, uh, I do. I would talk also with you about the imminent retirement, apparently, of two of our greatest champions, as far as I'm concerned, two of the greatest uh, people in all of the history of professional sport, uh, Roger Federer and uh, Rafa Nadal. Uh, they both seem on the brink of retirement, but they they have been truly great, uh, great champions. Linda, did you get ever get a chance to meet any of those guys? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you probably sounds like you probably know more about tennis now than I do, because I, I don't watch it anymore very much. I'm a bit of a sort of armchair, you know, come in for the final <laughs> type person. Yeah, well, me but, too. Uh, <laughs> I, I got I to ask you before we get into the uh, 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 the core of nuclear power here. Uh, are Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer as cool as they seem to be. I think so. I mean, you know, the the game changed dramatically over the years. So the access to players and the ability to get to know them as human beings diminished dramatically over the 20 years that I covered the sport. So it was much harder, really, to um, see who these, and I, you know, I got to know people like Andre Agassi as a human being. I didn't get to know Rafa or Roger that way. So they came in pretty much right when I was leaving the, the sport, so. Okay, well, I'm I, sorry to hear it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the, to me- but I, I, suspect, I suspect so. <laughs> yeah, they seem like really, really cool guys to me, so. Yeah. Okay, yeah. but of course I've always been a big Aaron Rodgers fan and now we've had a reason to uh, reevaluate that. And I, I don't think football was your beat. So <laughs> let's get to your beat, which is the international situation with the atomic energy industry. Uh, the nuke industry took a huge hit, thankfully, on my birthday, which is December 31st, um, and uh, uh, three, count them, three reactors shut in Germany, and uh, there are three left, and I assume they're gonna, uh, if I'm still around, they will be shutting on my next birthday, and Germany, the fourth largest economy in the world, will be nuclear free. Uh, why don't you comment on that to your heart's content, Linda Pence-Gunter, Tell us how significant you think that really is. 
Well, thank you. It's actually my birthday today, so I guess uh, we can have a double celebration. But you look, you look like you're about 25, is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's close enough. <laughs> Flatterer. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Germany. I mean, you know, what's fascinating is that Germany, in the light of this news, has been taking a, a beating in the, the press um, about its, you know, by making this false comparison that because it's phasing out its nuclear plants, inevitably its fossil fuel output has gone up, its carbon emissions are not what they should be. The energy vendor, otherwise known as the German green energy revolution, is not on track none of which is in fact true at all. And, you know, there's this false correlation made between what's happening with coal in Germany and what's happening with nuclear in Germany. But in fact, renewables from even from 2010 um, have started and have succeeded in replacing the gap such as it was left by the shutdown of nuclear plants. And that's the big advantage that Germany has over, for example, France, which is of course extolled in the mainstream media as this wonderful flagship of the nuclear success, which is currently in a deep freeze with only four reactors closed for technical problems and is looking at potential power cuts and brownouts because it cannot meet its electricity heat needs uh, with nuclear alone as in importing uh, coal from Germany. So in reality, the German story is very much on track. Uh, they're going to meet their 80% renewable energy target by 2030. They're probably going to have closed all their coal plants eight years sooner than planned, so not in 2038, but by 2030. And renewables have consistently filled any gap, not only left by the shutdown of nuclear power plants, but also by the reduced production of fossil fuels and aided by lower consumption by, by German electricity purchases. What, what is the, I mean, uh, you know, we've got a situation in this country where uh, our, uh, the, the former guy um, uh, says anything he wants and, and, and tells all the lies he wants uh, and uh, uh, whatever. So what the, the nuclear industry's um, uh, shills are running around saying that because of the closure of the nuclear plants, in Germany, uh, that there, Germany is now emitting more carbon than uh, it did before. What What is the truth behind the BS here? The truth behind the BS is that Germany is a net exporter of electricity and coal has become very profitable to export. So although Germany may be producing more fossil fuel at the moment than previously, it is for export purpose. It is not being consumed by the German consumer. It isn't changing the trajectory, which is the important thing to note, of carbon emissions and carbon footprint in Germany at all. It is not hampering the progress towards its 100% renewable economy by 2050. It's because there's demand. And one of the places where there's demand is nuclear France. So this great Nuclear France, which is 70% of its electricity comes from nuclear power. France was mandated, everybody in France has to have electric heat. They're in a freeze at the moment. They've got four reactors down for technical problems. There's probably more of those to come. And so they're worrying about power cuts. And so they import electricity from Germany, fossil fuels from Germany. So nuclear France is actually impeding progress towards a zero carbon emissions economy, right? By being so dependent on an unreliable source of electricity and having been a monopoly on nuclear, stifled progress on renewable development. So they don't have anywhere to go. You know, when they get into this situation, 
they don't have renewables to fall back on in France in any great number because they just didn't give renewables a chance to grow because it was all about nuclear for lots of reasons, mainly to do with nuclear weapons and the nuclear club. So that's the problem. You know, Germany's going to be a success story. France is not. You know, France cannot be a carbon-free economy by 2050 if it continues to use nuclear power, because you know as well as I do that that isn't a carbon-free energy source. So uh, it's just a false uh, narrative. It's very useful if you just sort of cherry pick, well, they're, they're generating more fossil fuels in Germany and they're closing their nuclear plants. Ergo, one caused the other. No, they are completely unrelated. And, and in fact, this export of coal would have happened whether Germany had closed its nuclear plants or not, or whether to develop renewables or not. It's completely market driven. That's the only reason it's happening. So um, uh, let's stick with Germany for a minute. And then I want to go to France because uh, uh, that is really amazing what's happening there. And of course, it has implications uh, for the U.S. But um, uh, so the German uh, transition to renewables, the renewable piece of it, how successful is that? Well, I, you know, I'm not deeply embedded in the ins and outs of what's happened in the last few years, because I know that the Merkel government has made it harder to bring on renewables as fast as they were going. So it has been impeded. It's by no means, you know, 100% success story. But I think that the important thing to look at is always the trajectory. I mean, for example, if you look at the World Nuclear Industry Status Report, which comes out once a year and looks at the whole world, and you see there you see the trajectory of nuclear power and you see the trajectory of renewables worldwide and looking at individual countries. And in Germany, as is the case in the world in general, the trajectory of nuclear energy is on a downward slope and the trajectory of renewables is on a, you know, not quite vertical, but, you know, incredible. Yeah. Um, sort of meteorological rise. And so <laughs> there's really no comparison between, you know, this is sort of nuclear's last gasp, desperate to be in there somewhere, be relevant in some way, grab a, a share of the pot of money, as we've seen, you know, what's happening in the European Union right now, where, you know, we're poised to have both nuclear and natural gas, which luckily is called fossil gas there, more correctly classified as you know green uh, energy so they can grab a share of the the financing to keep going so you know it's all about this sort of desperate hanging off the edge of the cliff financial catastrophe that nuclear power is and trying to stay alive somehow and, and argue relevancy which it has really none wow so germany um um will go uh, totally non-nuclear in 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 one year or less. On yeah, this year. Time. Yeah, twenty twenty two. First, twenty twenty two. When I turn seventy seven, hopefully, uh, the uh, <laughs> well, yeah, my my age, my age uh, has finally caught up to my IQ. <laughs> so um, uh, uh, the, on on December thirty first uh, this year, twenty two, uh, uh, Germany will have zero nuclear plants. And um, uh, and that, but but their trajectory for going to renewables is, is on target at very least, primarily wind and solar, right? Right. And uh, my understanding of the solar industry in in Germany is that it really took off faster than most people uh, assume. The the wind is basically primarily grid based, uh, but the the uh, incentives and the the basic structure of the German energy economy, the energy Wende, uh, 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 encouraged a surprising uh, leap to solar by many individual communities. 
Hmm, I think uh, that's because of the feed-in tariff and because of grid priority. Right. So they right. were hugely incentivized. I mean, one of the things that struck me going through southern Germany, which is not the world's most progressive place, let's put it that way, right. uh, you know, Bavaria, is that you would see, you would pass through towns and you could not see a roof tile. Every roof was completely covered in solar panels. You know, you didn't see roof tiles at all. Barns are covered in solar panels. I mean, they're making money and that's what sold it to the Bavarian farmers. This was a profitable business to get into. And so it was attractive to people, you know, obviously for some people for, for altruistic reasons and environmental reasons, but for many just because it made economic sense. So uh, Bavaria now has two major uh, uh, cash crops, uh, solar generated electricity and beer. Um, <laughs> which is very good, but I, I was actually in the beer hall uh, in 1967, traveling across uh, Europe uh, in the beer hall where Hitler made his putsch in Munich. And um, uh, I have to say, it was the best beer I've ever had, and I don't drink, so there you go. So, um, uh, so with energy, with wind and solar uh, coming up and Germany, and, and, and Germany going off nuclear, and that the new prime minister is following Angela Merkel's footsteps. I assume he's going to be more aggressive than she was on renewables. Is that right? Yes, I think so. I mean, it looks like they're going to go for 80% renewables by 2030 um, and zero coal by then as well. Wow. And, um, yeah. So I think, you know, what struck, what struck me about Germany, and I, I remember this when we had, we, when the Heinrich Böll Stiftung here had a series of politicians come over from Germany to talk and they, and they said, you know, there, all political parties in Germany are anti-nuclear. You know, it's basically political suicide in Germany to pro-nuclear. This sounds like a sort of fantasy dream to me. I can't even imagine that, you know. But that's the case, you know, that it's just, they're not going back. It, you know, for all the Schellenbergers standing around in Munich Square, railing on about how nuclear is good for everybody, it ain't going to change. You know, there's no going back to nuclear in Germany. They're on the path. They're, they're taking this criticism, but it's invalid. It's parsed information. It's not looking at the whole picture. And as I keep saying, you know, well trained by Michael Schneider and his World Nuclear Industry Strategy Report, look at the trajectory. That's what matters. You know, there may be some blips up and down along the way, but the trajectory for Germany and its energy vendor is success. Target met. That's what matters. Thank and it, you know, and it really rubs me the wrong way when the Washington Post and other U.S. media start pointing the finger at Germany and don't look in the mirror, you know, because our our greenhouse gas emissions per capita in this country are twice as high as those of a, of a German citizen. So we should probably look to our own first before we start complaining that you know they're only going to phase out coal by 2038 because you know we've got a lot to answer for in this country in terms of our carbon emissions. Is that 2030 or 2038? Well, the 2038 is the official target date, but everything that I'm seeing now is saying that it's inevitable that it'll be done by 2030. Fantastic. All right, so now let's look at the French. Um, uh, France has, what, about 55 reactors. They are standardized design. I remember in the early days of the, uh, the movement, anti-nuclear movement, everybody's saying, oh, we should standardize like France. So France, my understanding, has about all their reactors, I think except one or two, are, are Westinghouse design, pressure water, pressurized water reactors. And it's about 50-50 in terms of size. I think one's a 14 or 13, and one's a 900 megawatt, right? So um, the question then is, they have developed, now they, are, they are, have admitted to serious cracking in four reactors at two sites. 
Now, the downside of standardization is if you have cracks in, in two reactors, you're likely to have cracks in 55 reactors. And so t tell us what's going on in France, please. Well, I think there's been a long history of technical problems in France. I mean, although they haven't had a so-called major accident, they have hundreds of incidents a year at their reactors. Whether this is related to the fact that they're all cookie cutter, I don't know. But it's obviously related to the fact that they're so dependent on this particular deeply flawed technology. But I think what's striking, you know, is that there, there are two problems in France. One is the persistent problems they've discovered with the existing reactors. They, you know, if you recall, they also had this scandal with the Le Creuset Forge, which affects the new EPR reactors yet to be completed, but also raises questions about existing reactors in France and in the US that were supplied parts by the Le Creuset Forge, which is part of the Arriva family. So there are all sorts of reasons to be anxious about the safety situation in the existing reactors in France, but also in the one under construction in Flamanville, in Oculoto, and the two in, at Hinkley in the UK, which, as we know from what has now happened to the EPR that is running in Taishan, China, also has a flaw that is likely to be generic to the entire design. And, and what boggles my mind is that, you know, regardless of this, these projects continue to forge ahead. It's as if, you know, it's a bit like Don't Look Up, which I didn't love, but, you know, the message in that film is, okay, we're just going to ignore what's coming right at us and just carry right on. And that's exactly what's happening with the French nuclear sector. You know, Macron has come out and said, we're going to build six new EPR2s. I mean, the EPR is such a fiasco. It's probably like the, one of the biggest industrial flops ever from a technological point of view, from a cost point of view, from a deliverability point of view. And yet, you know, unhesitatingly with a straight face, he can announce that we're, we're going to build more of these, a new, yet a new improved design of an already disastrous catastrophe. Is Flamma you know. uh, View, is that an EPR? Flamoville is an EPR, right? Yep, that's and the... Okuyuto in... in um, Oto 3, Flamoville 3, EC, which is two reactors. They're planning one for Sizewell in the UK, which will only ever happen, I think. Never. If it, It'll if, never happen. Well, I, mean, I don't know. You know, the, the willingness to give permission to these reactors and so look the other way on the obvious design flaws not to mention the humongous cost i mean the only reason it's happening in england is they've established this sort of strike price which is triple what uh right. consumers pay now so edf is of guaranteed revenue but otherwise no way that, 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 i'm going to predict that none of those reactors are finished i mean look at vocal vocal in, in georgia yeah. Uh, it was originally going to be $14 billion. Um, it was going to open in 2017. Uh, five years after 2017, it's over $30 billion. And they, they're not even sure it'll open in 22, right? Yeah. And look at all the sort of criminality that's associated with those, the U.S. Okay. reactor stories as well. Yeah. Now, uh, the the uh, Votal reactors, are they, uh, those are Westinghouse as well? Yeah, they're the AP-1000, which is also another sort of disaster story. So, Well, they're all disasters. So the real question is, as far as I'm concerned, uh, and everything going forward in this world, is China. What is, what is China going to do? I mean, to my, my understanding is they've been debating a nuclear versus solar for the last few years. And uh, the question is, uh, clearly, they're going to go ahead with solar. Uh, there's no doubt about that. 
Uh, but the, the question is, are they going to go ahead with their nuclear plants? Well, China's does everything, you know, so they're, they're doing massive amounts of renewable, massive amounts of coal, massive amounts of nuclear, you know, that they're kind of an all of the above delusion. That's, right. that's what China is. But I, I think, you know, Confirming Donald Trump's, I think that confirms Donald Trump's theory that um, uh, Barack Obama was actually born in China. Sorry, oh, China. Okay, that's a new one. Anyway, you know, I think that the the what frightens me about the China story is that this problem, this vibration problem that caused the leakage around the cladding on the fuel rods, that caused Taishan One and EPR to be closed down, what was known about, a whistleblower has come forward and said that this was known about when it was at the Le Creusot Forge in 2007, 2008. It was then known about when they started the EPR up in 2018. So they just raised the level. They said, well, we'll just raise the level of leakage rate by, at which point the reactor should be shut down. So instead of saying, well, we, it's this rate, so we'll shut it now, they just sort of doubled it. So, we, okay, now it's at this rate. And then it exceeded that leakage rate. And so eventually in July, 2021, they closed the reactor, but they knew about it possibly from when it started in 2018. Certainly it was detected in October, 2020. And yet they ran it till July, 2021. It, this is risking exposure to workers, to communities living around the plant. And they didn't shut Taishan 2, which is, of course, a twin to Taishan 1, to see if they have the same problem there, which they undoubtedly And it also suggests that that problem is probably present in Flammenville, in Oculoto, and in the Hinkley reactors. So it's this sort of carry right on, Jeeves, you know, don't, let's not let a major safety flaw impede our progress to saying it's open, it's running, we did it. It's unbelievable. Then the, the other question is, um, we have Diablo Canyon in California, also Westinghouse PWRs, and uh, they are certainly unit one, is incredibly embrittled. And uh, we have circulated a petition here in California um, two years ago, signed by Jane Fonda, um, uh, uh, and Martin Sheen and many others, uh, asking only asking that the state inspect Unit One for uh, uh, embrittlement, and we can't even get them to do that. I mean, uh, and, and I'm wondering this cracking in France uh, might it translate to uh, Diablo Canyon? That's a question for an engineer. I'm not qualified to answer that. But I think that, you know, all you can say is that these reactors are inherently dangerous from day one. And as we know, age-related degradation, which my friend jokes about knowing every time she gets out of bed in the morning, you know, but we oh, age-related degradation. I am very well aware of age-related degradation. You know what age-related degradation is, and that's true for nuclear reactors as well. Obviously, the harsh environment in which they exist for all that time means as they reach the end of their licensed life, and obviously should never be relicensed, are going to have embrittlement and degradation that could cause problems. So I, I, you know, our position obviously at Beyond Nuclear is that they should be closed down ASAP. Uh, you, know, you don't need to look for the problem, you should just close the plant. It's not needed, Diablo Canyon. Uh, California is also on its trajectory, as you know, for a renewable economy because it planned well for it in advance. So the, the shutdown of San Onofre and Diablo Canyon is not gonna affect that either. But, but it's in our next half hour, should be protected. In our next half hour, Linda, you're welcome to stay with us. We're going to talk about the attempt in California to kill solar, which is, in the, you know, and I'm sure it has counterparts all over the world.
except in Germany, uh, which is such an irony. Although Germany is not alone <clears throat> in Europe. <clears throat> My understanding is that uh, Belgium, a number of other countries in the European Union are following Germany's lead and heading uh, towards a non-nuclear uh, uh, green uh, future. Uh, what, what, what about that? Yeah, I'm not quite sure that Belgium is on a green future, but it's certainly announced a non-nuclear future. I mean, the big battle right now in Europe is this issue of the taxonomy, which would allow nuclear power to call itself green and therefore get funding to continue. And this is what France is pushing for and what Germany is pushing back against, because as Germany is rightly saying, you know, it's if, apart from anything else, a dangerous technology. Um, you know, it's a problem here in the US where there's a huge push to put nuclear uh, into sort of the Green New Deal, into the renewable energy portfolios in the various states, you know, call it renewable, call it, you know, clean energy, this sort of vague term that, that allows nuclear power to creep in the door. I mean, these things are shocking to me that you could just sort of reclassify nuclear as green energy or renewable just because you say it is does not make it green or renewable you know so uh, it's a bit like saying obama was born in you know wherever you said <laughs> china i mean just because somebody says that doesn't make it true and so it's not a renewable energy by any stretch of the imagination and to just reclassify it is sort of typical though of what we see in the industry you know, in terms of Fukushima and the disaster there and saying, well, now instead of saying one millisievert a year exposure is okay, we'll say 20 millisievert a year is okay because that's what's happened. You know, so now that's safe. I mean, it's completely divorced from science or medicine. It's just convenient, right? And that's, that's what we're up against constantly is this sort of shifting the goalposts around to suit the profit motives and needs of an industry that's on its knees financially and has no role to play in climate change other than impeding progress by being a diversion of funds and time and expertise and so forth. So that's, I think, at the heart of, of the battle we face right now, you know, as we fight for our survival under climate crisis is to keep things like nuclear, which are going to slow down any efforts to ameliorate our conditions dramatically and potentially fatally. Unbelievable. Let's jump to the last um, 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 punctuation mark on this, which is the, this idiocy about small reactors. Um, we had a column in the LA Times uh, today uh, by Michael Hitzig, who's very, very smart um, uh, about, the, about this. And uh, in, in Los Angeles, uh, about 20 miles north of me, um, in the valley, uh, there was a horrible accident um, in the 50s at Santa Susana. And uh, it was a sodium-cooled reactor and, uh, and pretty much the same technology that they're now telling us is brand new with small reactors. Right. you want to comment on that? Yeah. I mean, I was shocked when I read an article in the Washington Post where they can describe nuclear as modern. <laughs> I thought, you know, no. Yeah, right. Because right. the one thing it isn't is modern, you know, renewables are modern, nuclear is not modern, it's an old technology. I mean, you're right, the small modular reactor is not a new idea, it's been around for decades and rejected for decades for very valid reasons. I mean, I think if you read, you know, Ed Lyman's analysis that he did at Union of Concerned Scientists on all these various designs that are being touted, whether they are small is, is debatable because some of them are not that small. For example, the Rolls-Royce small modular reactor in the UK is 450 megawatts, not that small. But nevertheless, you know, whether they're fast reactors, small reactors, the, the, the implications for safety are completely 
uh, unsatisfied. You know, no one, no one really knows. They haven't answered the fundamental safety questions. They're still on paper. They're kind of jokingly referred to as PowerPoint reactors because that's where they are. And yet there's all this publicity about something that isn't even needed let alone proven to be effective, of course, cannot come on in great enough numbers in time to make any difference at all to climate change, even if they were to come to life. And so it's this curious sort of clutching onto phantoms when right in front of us, we have the answers, you know, starting with conservation, energy efficiency, and bringing on renewables in, in significant numbers can do what we need to do and to sort of cling on to this idea of you know clean coal or safe nuclear is a waste of time and money that we don't have. And that's what's so frustrating about it. And it's well, to do with lobbying power, it's to do with a traditional kind of, you know, put you shake my hand, I'll shake yours on Capitol Hill. It's not grounded in the reality of empirical evidence, as far as I can tell. No, not at all. And, and uh, uh, it's what it's grounded in is the um, uh, indomitable desire of the fossil nuclear industry to proliferate itself into the future. Um, and uh, I think the tipping point will come when the renewable energy industry uh, is worth more and has more dollars to spend on Congress than the nuclear and, and coal industries have. But that's terrible that it should, you know, come down to bribes. I mean, surely, I mean, I'll, I'll buy out now because I'm not the expert on this, but my understanding is the renewable energy sector is the fastest growing employer in the United States, bar none, right? right. So, I mean, that should count for a lot. Yeah, yes. That, that should count for something. It uh, should count for a lot of things because the thing you always hear is about jobs, 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 you know. So renewables not only wins on everything else, but also on jobs. And that doesn't seem to get nearly enough play. But I'll let you talk to your... your well, wait, uh, uh, yes, this is our, our guy, Tatanka Bricka. I don't know if you know Linda Gunter. You two should be in touch. Tatanka is our California guy. Tatanka, I'm not hearing you. You're muted. Uh, you got you to gotta speak up. And I, I see you're in your car, but it's not moving. Thank God. That's the one rule I have on my Zoom calls. You can talk from a car, but it can't be moving. I, can um, you hear me? Yes, now we got you. Oh, okay, okay. okay. I so thought Tatanka, I had done that. Bricka in, in, in uh, the Santa Cruz area. This is Linda Gunter from Beyond Nuclear in, uh, in Washington, D.C. area. And uh, Linda is one of uh, the leading experts in the world on um, uh, international nuclear power. And uh, we've been talking about uh, especially the, uh, uh, the phase out of nuclear in Germany and the problems with the Westinghouse reactor designs in France. Uh, of which um, uh, Diablo Canyon is akin. And, um, uh, you know, these problems in France now have just surfaced. We don't know how serious they really are, but they're certainly serious enough to have caused the French to shut four reactors, which is a big deal. And this will have tangible impacts on their um, uh, ability to meet energy demand in France. And the, the great irony is because the French industry is so lousy, uh, these 55 uh, Westinghouse reactors uh, that are always shutting down and that may be in danger of an entire, I mean, it, it is not inconceivable that these cracks that have developed or have been, been discovered, I'm sure they've been there a long time, in the four reactors in France will force France to shut all their reactors because the French designs are generic. And, um, uh, you know, uh, to repeat, as for years, 
the industry has been saying we should be like France, we should have standardized designs, small problem when you have a, a problem in one design, one actual reactor, it could impact all the reactors in France. And that includes Diablo Canyon, um, which is apparently not in France, but the same design. So um, Linda and, and Tataka, you need to be in touch with each other. Uh, Linda is, is quite brilliant and uh, has uh, enlightened us on uh, uh, much of what's going on. And we also have to remember, uh, since everything seems to begin and end in California, that the, uh, the standardized design that they're pushing for small modular reactors, uh, its predecessor, its ancestor, actually blew up at Santa Susana um, and north of LA and uh, caused perhaps the, the worst um, radioactive uh, reactor-related uh, disaster in American history. Is that, is that a fair assessment, Linda, of the radiation that was uh, spewed out at Santa Susana? Certainly sounds like it. Um, again, that's not something I'm qualified to make comparison on. I think also because we don't really know, for example, with Three Mile Island, how much radiation got out. Exactly, you know, yes. Shut the radiation is. monitors off. Um, there was all sorts of suppression of information. There were no proper epidemiological studies done and so forth. I mean, there are probably all sorts of situations like this that we are still coming to light that we, we knew nothing about. There's a good story now about all the radioactive contamination of drinking water in the U.S. from places like Santa Susana and elsewhere. So I think it's an ongoing unfolding story, but it's a lesson that, you know, when you dig this stuff out of the ground, as the Native Americans warned us, you know, you, you leave it in the ground, you do not touch the yellow dust. And unfortunately we dug it up and now we're reaping the rewards, so to speak. But, uh, but you know, I'm sorry that I do actually have to move Okay, well, on. thank you so much. But I will point out, thank you, Linda. I will point out, I was one of, the, uh, one of two re uh, reporters that was stupid enough to go into the Three Mile Island area after the accident. And all the worst fantasies, all the worst um, nightmares that you can imagine, uh, definitely happened there, and you're definitely right. We do not know how much radiation uh, was, was released there. I will leave you with one last thought. There has been a horrifying wave of deaths among uh, racehorses at the Santa Anita Park, which is in right downwind from Santa, uh, Santa Susana. Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, and at some point, somebody's going to come out with a comparison. Thank you so much, Linda. We really appreciate it. And congratulations. Oh, on your birthday turning 27, we're, we're very happy for you. <laughs> well, one year more, okay. <laughs> Thank right. you, Linda. Thanks, Tatanka, bye-bye. Take care, Linda. Okay, Bye. we're now gonna go to uh, the great Tatanka Bricka sitting in his car. Uh, we're waiting for Ron Leonard. Uh, he may have his time wrong. I, uh, I wanna but, say, uh, sitting in and listening, I wish I'd been able to get on earlier, but I couldn't, because I, I, I could have learned about the new nuclear uh, generation that she probably knows much more well, about. But, the bottom line is that the, the, the so-called small reactors that they're wanting to bring online uh, are the, basically the same design that blew yeah. up at Santa Susana. That it, much it, I know. That much yeah, I know. Yeah. And that's all we need to know. Really. Really. Uh, and, and, I, and, you know, I, I just saw you, you seen the movie Idiocracy. No. OK, well, you need to see it. It's it's kind of the precursor to uh, don't look up the DiCaprio thing now, which which uh, we're going to do a, a collective Zoom uh, experience on Friday. It's a DiCaprio thing. Anyway. Well, wait, do you have a, do you have a link for that? Can you uh, tell yeah, us? Yeah, I can, I can get it to you. 
Um, but I feel like sitting in, in this conversation, I feel like a Rip Van Winkle moment where <laughs> what we knew in the early 70s, I'm woken up, it's 50 years later, it's the same friggin' conversation. And there's no responsibility at all by the nuclear industry to what's going on. There never has been. No, and uh, the thing as fellow Californians here is that uh, we need to understand that the Apple Canyon is of a piece with the French reactors. And yes. If, if, these two, if these four reactors, this is four reactors, they are going to have serious um, uh, supply problems this winter in France because these four reactors have gone down. And if, the, if these, uh, crack, this cracking proves generic, uh, the, the, the whole, all the Westinghouse reactors in the world, which include the two at San, San Luis Obispo, uh, that, 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 that is a threat to their continued uh, oh, man, you're right. And, you know, the in, in earlier discussion about the cost of energy, it's really interesting. Of course, we have solutions and of course they're cheaper. And of course, the response of the nuclear industry now is to tax us for putting solar on a roof, for doing the right thing, for being economical and responsible. All right. So let's talk about that now. In California, we are facing a horrific assault on solar energy at the same time we're trying to solarize you know solarize the state so we've got one group over here the the nuclear the fossil nuclear people <clears throat> trying to drive solar out out of business at the same time we're trying to solarize the state so can you tell us tataka uh what exactly and uh, uh and i want to explain that uh, christopher brickett tataka is is um works with the um, indigenous here in California, around the country, actually, with Danny Sheehan at the Romero Institute and Sarah Nelson, and uh, totally uh, integrated into the attempt to uh, transition our economy, especially in California, uh, to a green renewable base. And we, you know, un, um, uncharacteristic of uh, movements on the left, we have uh, the economy on our side. Uh, there is absolutely no doubt that greening California with solar and wind will completely drop the price of energy, create thousands and thousands of jobs, and uh, uh, fight global uh, climate chaos at the same time. But now they're coming at us to try and kill the rooftop solar business. Can you tell us what's going on with this, Christopher? Well, I think it's, you know, at the same time, you have the wealthy corporations out of Davos with the Great Reset making the move with the oil corporations to control the pace and timing of renewable. So they'd be very happy with Biden's 30-year plan, right? Let's get another 30 years to drag the oil out of the ground before we get to carbon neutral. Well, in California and in many parts of the country, you have a choice now of either owning the solar on your roof or basically selling it to a uh, solar company and renting it. In either case, you can get basically free energy uh, from the sun. You can, when you utilize all the energy you need for decades now in California, you can sell it back to the grid. It will go and produce more renewable energy in the state for everyone. It's a totally rational solution and it works economically. So now what they're doing is they're basically trying to hold on to their advantage. They don't want decentralized. They really don't want 
small d democracy to flourish and for people to make energy decisions at the level of their own home and their own local community. They want to create the large farm size things so that it can be a, a continued utility that they can own and then charge us whatever they want. And how exactly are they discouraging uh, rooftop solar? What, what are they doing now to, to kill the industry? Well, basically if, you, it, basically, if you have solar now, it's essentially going to be a tax to mitigate all the energy, the excess energy that you then sell back to the grid, which brings the cost way down and makes it even um, zero cost or profitable for you. So that's their first step to stop making it profitable and to stop making it any out of cost, out of pocket cost. And it will it will discourage a lot of people from making the decision, which is the, which is the goal. There's a PUC, uh, Public Utilities Commission meeting uh, relatively soon. I'll have to find the date again. I think we have a week or two to lobby on it. And the Solar Alliance in California, which has over 100,000 members, is very active with that. So that's something we need to take action on. And I'm basically going to be sending an email out later today with that information. So uh, what they the rooftop solar in California, my son-in-law has it on his roof. I've been waiting uh, for personal financial reasons to do it in our home. Um, uh, and I also am hoping when I put solar on my roof here uh, to be able to uh, have a plug-in for an electric car, mm -hmm. or for, at least for an electric hybrid. And um, uh, my daughter, we have a, I have a 2010 Toyota, which is actually a really good car. And um, um, it gets almost 30 miles to the gallon. Mm -hmm. um, and um, uh, she filled the tank, which is only 11 or 12 gallons, uh, the, the other day. And it was over $50. Yep. So we're in, and I don't drive that much, but still we're in the ballpark now where it really makes uh, sense, especially now if I can get um, a plug-in on my solar roof. Yes. Uh, but the solar rooftop is being held back there. Of course, been all sorts of uproars in the renewable, in the uh, uh, photovoltaic industry, uh, to uh, the physical industry, uh, to, and I want to talk about with the, that with you in a minute. But my understanding of what the industry, the fossil nuclear industry is trying to do in California, and they've gotten, you know, play at the CPUC, the California Public Utilities Commission, which is about as corrupt an organization as you'll find in total corporate capture by industry. Completely, and, and it's outrageous. And so what they want to do now is tax, put a tax on uh, uh, solar panels on rooftops and mess with the feed-in, um, uh, uh, the net metering operation. Yes. Can you give us some detail on that? Um, well, I know as much as you do about that. This is not my specialty. Um, okay. I, sold, I sold solar. Uh, in the 70s, and I created a solar co coalition. And it, about 15 years ago, I sold solar again with the with the photovoltaic. But the price cost has come down significantly. The rebates have almost disappeared that used to be higher. That's another thing. I mean, the state of California, the federal government could be continuing to give rebates. They're kind of discouraging all this. So the, the political power we need without 
the progressives taking over the Democratic Party in the next couple of years, I don't see a way out of this because you're right. We need the money on our side to get some things done. And the only way to do that, the, the moderate part of the the old traditional wing of the Democratic Party that went corporate around the Clinton time to try to create Republican light and just keeps, uh, you know, giving things away a la mansion and cinema that will lead us right into Trump and right into our own demise in a very, very short time. So this election in California coming up um, is critical. And part of that is us getting a Let's Green California bill to electrify the whole state. It's the first of a three bill part, 2022, 2023, 2024, which will cover every significant 13 different sectors, including agriculture, including water, including um, uh, state bank down to the local level, et cetera. But the first one will take care of one third of all the uh, carbon put in the atmosphere with um, electric that will be mitigated by electrifying automobiles, light trucks, homes and businesses. And then it'll go the following year. But that that itself will require us to uh, target swing districts that have Democrats in them that are siding with industry. And so there's some of these swing districts who are going to have to run progressives. We're talking right away. Um, so yeah, all that is in play. We thought this we works to together with the Georgia way strategy where we're using grassroots organizing to build up the strength of, of numbers, people speaking for local energy, speak, people speaking for the right to vote. Well, we're going to have to have you on the Zoom call on Monday, Tatanka, to talk about that. Uh, that. You know, if this country is going to survive, you know, we are going to have to do two things. Uh, first, we're going to have to prevent the uh, Bannon fascist movement from taking over the local election boards. Right. They have been very clear on their strategy of putting uh, people with guns, essentially, into local election boards to turn the whole country into the pre-1960 South. Yes. And, um, and, and uh, there, there's not much doubt about that. Um, and uh, the, the second part is to organize the kinds of strategies that you're talking about here at the grassroots to get progressive candidates. I and mean, the interesting thing on number one that you just talked about, we learned last night on our Circle of 100 meeting where we had Danny Sheehan, Dolores Huerta, uh, Ben Eichert speak, but also we had Lori Pisante, who's the legislative person who works full time with Dolores Huerta. And they have the new the new printout of the new districts created the redistricting created by the census and the work that the Dolores Huerta Foundation did in the Central Valley has resulted in something historic. Four congressional districts in the in the San Joaquin Valley up to the Sacramento Valley, there's only been one that has really um, been abiding by the majority of the wishes of the people that's, that's more progressive. The result of their work is three out of the four now are gonna go our way. But what that took was not only grassroots organizing at the local and regional level, it, took them being involved at the state level. And we I heard a story of how they faced off on the redistricting issue against the the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys and stood up to a, a, a massive amount of of threat of violence pressure 
the same kind of thing that we're going to be facing at the polling booths in the coming elections that's being orchestrated by Bannon and uh, Trump will be pushing. So we've already seen an example of they were totally um, they were totally pleasantly surprised that their work at the state resulted in the state making the right decision. So anyway, those issues are directly related. Right. And we will talk about that in our next uh, grief call on Monday, which will be broadcast next week at PRN in this slot. So people following uh, the grassroots uh, attempt to protect our elections, you can join us Monday. Uh, Email me directly, solartopia at Gmail, and I'll give you the link or that you will hear it at least an hour of it uh, a week from today. And for Uh, everybody who hasn't been on the call that that Sluggo has organized, um, show up. I mean, magic happens there just by attending. People have met that didn't know each other and new amazing things have come out of it. And the things that are going to determine the fate of our country, because for all the talk about this and that and the indictments and so on and so forth um, um, uh, on January 6th, which is today, by the way, um, um, we, we, what's, what it's all going to boil down to is who controls uh, the, the, the election boards. And will they be small d democratic or will they be a large capital F fascist? Um, and, and that's really what we're looking at here. Now, in terms of energy, um, you are pushing a Green New Deal here, uh, a Green California plan. And uh, we have exactly seven minutes to okay. get through it. But tell us what it is, please. Well, well, the bill that that is going to be coming out that we will have a a sponsor of within, say, three or four weeks and completion of of the bill, the writing of the bill itself is will be called. It's coming out of Let's Green California, which is our campaign. And the bill is called Electrify California. And this will despite that, even the the uh, incumbent Democrats having this tunnel vision where they say, oh, we can't have a bill that has both cars and trucks in the same bill. Oh, we can't have a bill that has both commercial and residential buildings. We've been fighting that. And we have a lot of support in in the state legislature kind of behind the scenes for this. So this will be one of several bills that is introduced by the greater environmental community. Ours is particularly distinct because our coalition not buy into the labor, organized labor, especially versus environment. We have uh, SEIU, IBEW. We have a lot of local and statewide um, union people in our coalition, along with different environmental groups, having them understand that one of the reasons why nothing has gotten through the state of California is that the the building trades have basically shut down a lot of good proposals, but that's because there's historically the environmental groups haven't been working with labor. They say, well, that's just your problem if we electrify and it affects your jobs. And, and so they've taken a stance and it's resulted in some unfortunate competition. Okay. So this one will result in about 33% of all the carbon put up through the home use the building use, the automobile use, the truck use. That's the first bill. And that will be called Electrify California. It doesn't have a number yet, but within, you know, by mid February at the latest, but 
probably by the beginning of February, we will have a bill number and we will have a series of sponsors for that. Then that's going to be followed by another bill in 23 and another bill in 24. And our design that we've been working on now for a year and a half is designed for California to create the model that the nation can use, meaning that we need to get the carbon down and not just the carbon, the methane and all the short lived gases that are far more deleterious in the short term to get them pull down and to reach carbon neutrality and draw down within 10 years, not 30 years, 10 years, or else we're facing the 43 foot sea rise around the world in the next generation before 2050, well before 2050. We're talking with Tataka Bricka, uh, uh, Christopher, one of the great organizers uh, based in California on renewables and on election protection. Uh, Tataka, I would like to uh, um, do a segment with you, of course, on Monday. If you have people who have been directly threatened and have had experience with the, these fascists, the Boo Boo Boys and the Proud Boys and uh, these other abandoned Nazis, um, uh, I would like to have them come on. We, ha we have someone who's been physically assault, uh, confronted threatened in, in North Carolina, but um, she's not talking. So if anybody has had direct experience, I, I want them on the call Monday. I'll have a conversation and see if we can arrange that. Okay, that would be great. So uh, in this show, uh, we have covered, uh, you know, an incredible gamut. Uh, the, the Germans, uh, of all people, uh, fourth largest economy in the world, uh, uh, shut three reactors on December 31st. Um, my 76th birthday, and on my 77th, if I'm still around, they will shut the last three, which means that the fourth largest economy in the world will be 100% post-nuclear. And they're, um, uh, as we learned from Linda Gunther, their transition to renewables is uh, really ahead of schedule and under budget, as we say. And the ask you a question: Do they yeah. do they have a plan for funding the decommissioning of those plants in Germany? That is a question I can't answer. And uh, okay. we will, uh, I would assume, being German, I would assume they do. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, let, let, no, they're so, I mean, when I first went, uh, I was the first organizer for Amnesty International in the United States, along with Joan Baez and uh, Janetta Sagan and the Sally Lilienthal and a bunch of others. But as we traveled around and I went to the International Amnesty Conference in Germany, and oh my God, they were by far, along with the uh, Dutch, they were by far the best organized. I mean, we learned so much from them. Yes. And of course, the opposite has been the marijuana campaigns in America. <laughs> Two stone together signatures, but we still got through it. So um, uh, at any rate, uh, France is looking at major catastrophe in their nuclear industry. And um, uh, meanwhile, you know, they're pushing uh, a small reactor design that is proven to blow up and cause the worst uh, uh, radiation release in American history. And here we have Tatanka with us uh, with a, a plan, uh, the Romero Institute, uh, Dolores Huerta and all that, uh, to uh, solarize California from which all, all things, good things will happen. Tatanka, great to have you on. Please do, uh, we will talk, I do want you on Monday uh, to discuss this plan going forth in California uh, to democratize our democracy, <laughs> let's put it that way, and, uh, and to somehow turn the Democratic Party into a small d operation, take it back from Wall Street uh, to whom the Clintons sold it in the mid 90s. Well, thank uh, you for your commitment and thank you for your new book. Oh, my. Buy, buy the book. <laughs> my people's 
Spiral of U.S. History. Thank you, Tatanka. Um, uh, I will have it out uh, uh, by February 1st, um, uh, hopefully even sooner, uh, after a mere 50 years. Uh, so listen, this has been the, thank you, uh, the crew in New York. This has been another edition of the Solartopia Green Power and Wellness Show. Um, we have talked with Linda Pence-Gunter of Beyond Nuclear and Tatanka Bricka. Uh, what's your official organization when I talk to you? Are you Romero Institute or? Well, actually, I'm the experiment Circle of 100, which is a total volunteer organization. It's Danny Sheehan's experiment to see if a a group of well-meaning volunteer citizens and indeed can help change the world. None of us are paid. Romero has the paid people. We just do research. We do whatever's needed. And we're going to be teaming up to do grassroots organizing, go all over the state where needed. And how do people get a hold of you? Uh, they can get a hold of me with uh, my phone number and my email is the best way. My email is C Bricka, B R I C C A, at me, M E dot com. My phone number is 415 570 3219. Okay. And anybody needs to contact me, Solartopia at gmail.com. Thank you, crew in New York. Thank you, Tatanka. And we will be back on with you next week with a full report from the Grassroots Emergency. Election Protection Coalition. And until then, we will see you in Solar Tokyo. Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what we conceived? Either way, we got.